The reading is taken from Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, beginning at verse 11. It's on page 1049 in the Old Pew Bibles. The parable of the lost son. There was, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am, starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has come back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. So my name's Chaz, I'm the Chief Executive of YMCA Downsling Group and we've been through a few changes over the last couple of years. Some of you might be more familiar with those changes than others but Downsling Group's a grouping of YMCA's across Sussex and Surrey which now includes um, your YMCA in Guildford. So. This morning I just want to spend, um, I thought I'd divide things up into just reflecting a little bit on the reading that we've just heard and then talking about how that has quite a impact for us as a YMCA in the work that we do 
and then we're just going to talk to you a little bit more about some of the, some of the work of the YMCA and Lucy, our chaplain, is going to talk to you about, if you're interested, how you can continue to be involved with our work and support us. So the story of the prodigal son is, is a universally known and, and loved story of, of, of hope and, and, and acceptance. And um, I've, 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 I've known the story all my life, and it's one of those stories that gives you a really good feel-good factor. Um, it was a few years ago that I came across this book. I, some of you might have read it. Um, it's a book called The Return of the Prodigal Son by Henry Newon. The, the story changed me a little bit when I read the book. It was one of those moments in, our, in our sort of my spiritual journey and understanding of my faith that, that had quite a profound effect on me. As, as I was reading the book, I, I, I saw the story in a different light and I saw not just the, the part of the book which is great and full of, 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 of hope, but also I recognised the other characters in the story, especially the older son, and I recognised quite often my own actions were more similar to the older son than they necessarily were to the prodigal son. There was part of me that, that had to die when I was in just a sense of pain in that. And, and, and what I'll touch on when I'm talking about the story is I had to learn to see the Father, to see God, in that loving way that the story describes. Because we can't really love others unless we feel loved ourselves. So I'm hoping um, Mike can bring up a picture now. Go the, the next one, Mike. Of the, the um, yeah. When Henry Nowen wrote the book, he um, he was influenced by Rembrandt's picture. He spent actually he spent weeks in the Hermitage in St Petersburg in Russia, just looking at this picture, and found a deep sense of revelation through it. And it's it is an amazing picture. And I'm going to use that as I I sort of try and reflect on on the story. I'm going to look at each of the main characters, and Rembrandt's painted in a way with the three main characters, the, the younger son, the father, and the older son being in, in the forefront of the picture. The story of the younger son is, is that, that, that story of being lost. So in, in Paul's Gospel, it talks about he squandered his money on a life of debauchery. I just want to sort of start by saying I, I sometimes think as in the modern Christian church, that we've lost sight of the importance and the profound nature of being lost and found. And we've taken the term the lost and we've attached it to our sort of doctrine of original sin and, and how we use that to separate ourselves from the rest of the world. And sometimes we're at risk of reducing Christianity to just do a sin management system rather than understanding the deep mystery and importance of being lost and being found. I want to suggest that we are all lost. Sometimes we're, it's not as obvious as the um, prodigal son. His life of debauchery makes it very easy to see that he was lost and heading in the wrong direction. Most of us find more socially acceptable ways in, of projecting to the world that everything's good. But actually, deep inside, we have a sense of being lost. I remember um, reading a book by Viktor Frankl, Jewish psychologist who spent much time in a Nazi concentration camp and managed to survive that and he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning and in that book he suggests that actually the most profound thing in our lives that we search for is meaning and um, that was very opposite to, to his peers like Freud who said we were just 
our only real instinct was to survive. Well, no, Franklin said we were searching for the divine, and that was absolutely intrinsic in all of us. And then there's a moment where the lost son is found. And um, in Luke's Gospel it says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and earth, against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. The prodigal son had to suffer. And, had to, and, and it was his suffering, that moment of pain where he realised that he was just heading in the wrong direction. He was, he was in the, you know, the pigs and he, and he had to turn and he had to realise that he had to take that journey back towards his father. So I often find that, probably like many of you, I, I was, I was, I was baptised in, 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 in my sort of adult life and made a commitment to, 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 um, to Jesus. But I... I don't think that our salvation is necessarily found in the baptismal tank or in the altar call. I think it's so often found in our suffering, in that journey back, that we actually understand the true nature of God's love for us. I certainly know reading this book that Henry Nowen was able to describe that in his own experience of being a very successful Christian author, invited to lots of opportunities to speak to, to, to large amounts of people. But his life changed and he had to move away from that life and he became a director of a small community of people with learning disabilities. And he said it was at that point where he truly understood his relationship with God. He truly understood that he was loved and how to love in that community. So not in his, great, his, his ability to be a great author or, or articulate to, to lots of people. What's really interesting about the picture, it's not, it's not so clear here, and, um, but a lot of commentators have, have spent a lot of time looking at how Rembrandt painted the head of the um, prodigal son. And actually, Lot will say that actually it has a fetal, a sort of newborn kind of feature in it, if you look closely. And, and is that Rembrandt trying to, again, describe this idea that actually that journey to the Father is one of rebirth, one that you need to die to be reborn in. And um, I was driving up to, to, to this morning, and, and it's that time of year, isn't it, where everything is so green, and it's only, you only have to go back a month, and, and it, you know, and the trees were bare, and nature seems to show, God's creation seems to show that it's a natural cycle of death and renewal. I love the way that even science is now telling us that actually everything is a cycle of death and renewal, that stars have to die for new stars to be born, and actually our universe is continually expanding. I think there's something really profound about God's pattern of death or renewal, or, or being lost and then being found. Jesus talks about it a lot in the Gospels. We hear about that the wheat must drop to the ground for, for new life to come. The one that really interests me is um, he talks to Nicodemus. I love Nicodemus. I get that sense that he was a Pharisee that just wanted to find a way of connecting with Jesus. And he wanted to somehow legitimise Jesus to make it all okay. And, and, and he, co- he comes to Jesus. He says he comes to Jesus in the middle of the night. And, and he asks Jesus about his kingdom. And, and Jesus goes to, to, to Nicodemus that he has to be reborn. And there's poor old Nicodemus trying to work out the biology of being reborn. And <laughs> you go on maybe a year, a few more months in, in, in the Gospel accounts, and there's Nicodemus alongside Christ at the point where he's holding his cross. And then, when Christ is being buried, Nicodemus is there as part of the group of people. I wonder if it's at that point that Nicodemus really understood what Jesus was saying when he was saying that he would have to be reborn. 
But this is a story of two sons, not just one son, and both sons are lost. So the older son exclaims to the father in his, his sort of frustration and anger, all these years I have slaved for you and never once disobeyed your orders. I wonder if the older son's lostness is greater than even the younger son's and I wonder if we sometimes can recognise that in ourselves. The older son was full of pride, self-justification, his personal rightness with his father, what he should inherit. So, I read a, a lot by a, um, a Franciscan priest called Richard Raw. I don't know if some of you have heard of him and I remember him saying once in one of his books that the biggest evil is when man wraps God around his own agenda. I think we see this in the obvious, obviously in our times, in, 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 in groups like the Islamic State who claim that they're doing God's will. But are we all at risk of, side not at that extreme, but moving in that dire- direction? Can religion turn us into the older son at times? I, I sometimes think that religion tends to separate us from, from the rest of the world and, and we can easily find ourselves judging and justifying ourselves. Do we retreat in our religious, in our churches into groups where we find a nice set of commonality and we, we separate ourselves from the world? Again, I think the, 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 that, that might reflect the older son's journey. My own story, I feel, has a lot of that in it. I love those moments where I feel the moment of being the prodigal when we just have those, those epiphanies of being loved by God and, and drawn towards him. But how often in our, is our daily struggle more around the older son, how, how we show that love back to the rest of the world. And then so, so the, the, um, the father answers the older son, my son, you are with me always and all I have is yours. I always wonder about what happened to the older son. Did he turn, surrender that pride, his anger? Did he accept the father's love so that he could actually love his brother? We don't know. Gandhi said that, um, famously said that all men are brothers and that we are all interconnected. That the, the divine love connects us all so that we're not separate, that, that actually we are, that we are joined. And um, that can be difficult. That means that we have to love those that we find hard to love? Can we surrender to the Father's love so that we can show the Father's love to others? So I just want to talk a little bit about the Father in the story and the sort of idea of loving the lost. So Luke's account says, while he was far off, his father saw him and was moved by pity. He ran to the boy, clasped him and kissed him. That's just that beautiful moment, that profound moment in the story where the father sees the son in the distance and he's he's dashing off, not thinking at all about the actions of the son in the first instance. So, I love the way Rembrandt has painted the father in this picture. Apparently, this was one of the last um, pictures that Rembrandt painted before he died. And I don't know how much you know, but Rembrandt's life was marked by suffering. He outlived his wife and his three children. So he knew what pain was. I think Rembrandt's painted the picture of the father as someone who has suffered. I think there's obviously, if you look at, especially if you, if you get a better picture, a closer picture than that, he's a picture of a, a person that's suffered. Really interestingly, when you look closely at the picture, you can tell that Rembrandt has painted the father so he's blind. And that's really clear when you get a closer look. That there's a frailty in the father. 
It's not a statue of a great leader, but of someone who has suffered. Someone who is able to show that compassion and that love. Again, another really interesting feature of the picture that Rembrandt painted was, if you look closely at the father's hands, the one is masculine and one is feminine. Again, it's trying to show, I think Rembrandt's trying to show the paternal and maternal love of the father. It's a divine love, a compassionate love. Now one says in his book, how much would he have liked to have pulled them back from his fatherly authority and hold them close to him so they would not get hurt? But his love is too great to do any of that. It cannot force, constrain, pull or push. It offers the freedom to reject the love to, or to love in return. It is precisely the immensity of the divine love that is the source of the divine suffering. God, creator of heaven and earth, has chosen first and foremost the Father. I think my daily struggle is to know the Father's heart. I so often slip into seeing God as that judgmental Father looking at what I've done wrong. And then I wonder why I struggle to show the love to others that, 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 that this story guides us towards. Maybe it's because I can only show that love if I believe that I am actually loved. I can't give what I haven't got. So I want to just quickly now move to um, a modern version of the prodigal son. So I don't know if, Mike, you could just bring up the next picture. Probably a very recognisable picture. I think it illustrates the work of the YMCA and, and, and just through that image, the young people that we, we work with. Again, coming back to, 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 um, to a part of the Gospel reading, while he was far off, his father saw him and was moved by pity. He ran to the boy, clasped him and kissed him. I wouldn't say that our young people that we work with are always easy to love and it's not necessarily a natural thing to run towards them and want to hold them. So. But sometimes we need to think of the journey that they've been on. So many of the young people that the YMCA will work with have never known love. They've only known fear, rejection, violence, disappointment. They haven't had a stable family life. They haven't fitted in at school and school hasn't fitted in for them. They find themselves in conflict with authorities and ultimately they find themselves on the margins of our society. We find these young people in our hostels, homeless, either because their family relationships have broken down or that actually they, they've, they've never had a family and they've come through our national care system and end up with us in our hostels. We find these young people in our teenage pregnancy services or the services we provide to help young people who are sexually exploited where these young people are looking for love in all the wrong places. We find these young people in our alternative education where our mainstream schools aren't able to provide them with the sorts of support and services that they need. And we see them damaged and the anxiety and the fear and the disappointment as we provide community counselling for these young people. I have Rembrandt's picture on my wall in my office and it's to remind me of the Father's heart and it's to remind me that the YMCA exists to try and show that love that the Father shows and that that is core to our mission. One of the things that, um, in my work that saddens me most and I'm most committed to trying changing is our young people can be hard to love and sometimes it's not easy for our young people to fit into our communities and, and I... I sometimes get letters asking me why are our young people's housing projects are next door, why are your young people in our community and, um, and I feel there that, that there's something fundamentally wrong in our society if we can't change 
and work together with our community. I feel that those, those moments are more reflective of the older son's heart, really. So a key part of our mission is to help young people belong in their local communities, to be able to contribute meaningfully in their local communities and ultimately to be able to thrive in those communities. And to do that, we need to work alongside our communities and find out ways that you can continue to join us and help us so that actually young people can see that they are loved and valued by their community, not pushed to the fringes. It's a little bit about our, um, our sort of vision and then uh, Lucy's going to come and just talk a little bit about how you can get involved. So this is our vision statement. We start with um, the Christian foundation of our organisation. That's really important to us, that actually we are here to show from that Christian tradition the Father's heart in our work. We have a more modern way of understanding the YMCA. Obviously, it was our 172nd birthday last week, so, and, and we were founded as the Young Man's Christian Association. I think all great institutions learn to evolve and adapt to the societies in which they work. So I don't think Young Man's Christian Association would be relevant for all the young people we work with and um, not to all the staff that work and, and support us. So we understand our organisation as a youth-minded community approach organisation. Our focus is on young lives and we're keen to work with our communities to make sure that young people can belong, contribute and thrive in those communities. And if we get that vision right, we believe that we can transform young lives. So I think this is probably a good time for Lucy just to come up, who's our chaplain, and just talk a bit about how communities can get involved and support us in that work. Are we going to... Well, thank you very much for inviting us here today. Thank you for the support you have provided as a church. Thank you, Mike. I didn't know how long that support had been going on. I know it's been big. I know financially you've helped us greatly. And there may be other people here today who are involved in ways I don't know about, but thank you. And, and thank you for giving us a, a really big slot today to talk to you. There's a leaflet that's on some of the pews, and it's also on the table at the back if you haven't got one. And it's a little bit about what we do and about how you can get involved if you want to get involved. I'll just highlight two or three things from it. Um, one thing we really value is prayer. You have been and do pray for us. We are so grateful for that because it is God who, as Chas said, is that loving father who can change, can help all of us, can help the lost. So please do pray. And we've got a bi-monthly prayer newsletter called Churches Connect. And if you're interested in getting it and having a bit more detail for your prayers, then there's an email address on this leaflet. So if that's something you feel called to, please, please look at that. The other thing is we're about to launch a new scheme in Guildford called Positive Placements. In the rest of YMCA Downslink Group, we've had positive placements going for some time. It's a mentoring scheme where young people are linked up with volunteer mentors in the community. Those mentors are supported, they're trained, and it's been 
really transformational in other areas for young people. Um, Chaz described some of the young people that come into our services. They are often people who uh, have been through the care system or for some reason there's been some kind of relationship breakdown and they've found themselves without anywhere to live. Um, they've often had a lot of paid staff uh, who've been involved in their lives. They might have had social workers. They will have key workers at our projects. But this mentoring scheme that has, has already working in other areas has been really profound because the young people have really responded to the fact that volunteers are giving their time and themselves to support those young people, to try and help them work out what it is makes them tick and what will give them hope, helping to get them into work. So if there's anyone here who thinks they might be interested in finding out a bit more about that, could, that, could you be a mentor? There's some information in this, but there's also a sheet um, on the table out the back. It won't, we're just advertising for someone to coordinate it. It's not up and running just yet. It will take a couple of months. But if that's something you feel called to, then please do take some information. And one other thing I'd like to highlight is that we're about to start setting up chaplaincy services in a lot of our projects. We already have a group of volunteer chaplains at one of our projects in Horsham. And they go in each week, just a couple of them. There's a little team, but two of them go in each week, just one weekday evening. And they basically hang out with the young people. They play pool. They're known as the donut people. They bring donuts. It's very sort of low-key chaplaincy, although when things get bad, they're there. And uh, a young person at Horsham Y died in unexplained circumstances and they then made a point of coming in more during the week and providing a listening ear for staff and for young people and they are there too when people want prayer they they can do that part of my remit is setting up chaplaincy services across all our projects and we house 550 young people so that's quite a big deal but in Guildford, we're not ready to start the chaplaincy yet, but we will be in a few months. So if that's something that you think could be you, I'd really urge you to get in touch and to find out a bit more. There's some leaflets uh, or little flyers at the back which say a bit about what we mean by chaplaincy. And I think sometimes the word chaplain can put people off and you can think, oh, I have to be really holy to be a chaplain, uh, you don't. You have to be ordinary, kind, compassionate, and commit to pray as well, ideally before and after you, you come in. But we're looking for, for ordinary people. I think the last thing I'd say, and this is something that comes out of my own experience, is if there's anything today where you think, oh, maybe, maybe that's for me, I would, I'd urge you to go away and reflect and, and just think about it and check it out and not necessarily ignore it because I think in getting involved in things like this, if that's right for you, and not everything's right for all of us, it couldn't be, but if it's right for you and something God would want from you, then 
it will be bring blessing to you because God wants us to grow into the people he wants us to be. So, so if you do feel a sort of little nudge or something, then probably good to just have a look at it. And I say that based on my own experience because I can, I can listen to nudges and I can ignore nudges as well. Thank you. Thank you so much. Father, we thank you for the love you have for each one of us for the love that we can know and for the love received that can then be shared with others. So help us, Lord. Amen.